And like I said, inevitably, the, the summer is a time where you kind of take stock. And I've been asking God for my own life and uh, what He has for me. And also asking God uh, what He would have for us as a church in this new season. And uh, people always tease me because I always say it's a new year. But it is always a new year. It's a new school year. So there's a new thing happening in the, <laughs> in the first quarter of the school year. And I don't have all the answers. I just want to say that straight up front. I, I came back with a sense of God. I don't have all the answers, and I know that. I think there are many things that we're going to discover together as a community as we go forward. And that's the great joy of being in a church, is that you don't have to have all the answers, because God speaks to everybody, and we hear the heart of God together, and together we move forward as a community. And that's the great thrill of being part of a church community. But I did feel God speak to me and confirm something of the path that we have been on for the last couple of years, and give me one thing that I feel like, for me, needs to become an increasing focus of this church community. And it's a very simple thing, and it's not a new thing. It's an obvious thing in some ways. I just felt God speak to me and remind me that above all things, we need to be a going church. We need to be, I want to use this word and I'll explain what I mean by it in the next half an hour, a missional church. That by definition, we as Christians have a message. And that's what we need to be taking out of our own lives, into our families' lives, and um, into the community, and doing all that we can to preach this message of salvation and hope for this nation through our lives. And so that's what I've come back from, come back with, trusting God that for all of us, we will grow in the sense of this church community must inevitably become more and more missional as the gospel continues to transform us all from the inside out. As we fall deep in love with Jesus, there's an inevitable overflow from our hearts that needs to touch people. Yeah? And so it's not a new thing. It's the gospel. <laughs> but I felt God conf confirm these things in my heart as I was lying on the beach in France. <laughs> right. I wanted to say this. How are we going to do that? Well, I've got some ideas, and you have some ideas um, that I'd like to share with you this morning. I believe what comes first, and what must come first, is a personal revelation of the gospel in your life and in my life. We have to have a personal revelation. We can't take what we do not yet have revelation of into any community. We're only going to reproduce who we are. And so I don't say that in any way, in an accusing way. I'm just saying as we let the gospel transform us, as we increasingly open our hearts and let the Holy Spirit into our own lives and soften us and change us, it's going to, make, it's going to have an incredible effect on those that are around us. Right? That's what I'm saying. And so we have to have a theology of the gospel. And if you've been in this church for the last couple of years, you will know that that's what we've been trying to unpack in the preaching, is to have an understanding, a theology of what the gospel is. That's the first thing that needs to happen. And out of that, I want to say that there's a second thing that we need, and that happens in, in, as a church. We have to have a theological vision. And what I mean by that is this. Every single church... In, every, in different cities of the world, and uh, different places in the UK, for example, this community in St. Albans is unique. It's different from Hatfield. It's different from Welland Garden City. What we have to spend some time doing as a church community in prayer is asking God and saying, God, who are the people of this community? What is the culture of this community? What kind of people are we trying to reach in this community? So we have to have 
a vision, a theological vision, because the truth of what we understand in terms of the gospel has to impact practically the community. And if you go to any church, you probably find that what they believe theologically is very, very similar. Would you agree? Most churches that preach the good news of Jesus have the same message that we preach. But how churches work it out is very, very different. Why? Because each church is unique. Each church understands that they have something of the gospel that God has for them to take into the community. And so I'm saying, what we need to be giving ourselves to in prayer and more and more as a church community is, God, this great gift of grace that you've given us, how does that touch St. Albans? What do we need to do to change so that it can touch an almost? And I'm saying to you that I believe, thirdly, every ministry must flow from those two things. Then we know we're doing the right thing. Are you with me? We don't want to just do ministries for the sake of ministries. They must flow out of a revelation of the gospel. They must flow out of a clear understanding of what God has called this local church to do. And then every ministry must flow out of those two things and touch people. Are you with me? That's the the, the basis of what I want to say. Once we know what we are aiming at, the question then becomes, how does our revelation of the gospel touch this community? How do the guys coming back from Soul Survivor, the thing that God has done in them, how does that begin to, begin to touch their community, their friends? And so for me, I find that incredibly liberating. You know why? Because it gives space for churches to be very, very different and still have a central thing that holds us together. And I've come out of a movement which was very strong about how worship should be, how you should organize the church, what you should do, and you know what it forces people to do? It forces them to either conform to that thing or to feel like they're rebels. I'm not knocking anyone. I'm just saying, surely, in the fullness of the gospel, if we love Jesus with all our hearts, we can make space to have different expressions of church for different communities with different people, and that's an incredibly wonderful thing. Because then we're reaching the whole community. Are you with me? And so I'm saying, let's seek God together. What has God got for us? What does God want us to give ourselves to with all of our hearts to bless this community, to help the poor in this community? All those things, yes. But what is it for us? And I'm not saying it might not just be one thing, it might be a number of things. Are you with me? And so this for me is a very, very exciting thing. So what I'm saying is that we need to preach and live the gospel. And that's what's going to root people in Christ. So can I just give you four little points this morning? Just to remind you what I mean by the gospel. And the gospel really does change everything. And you're going to hear me say that over and over, because it really does change everything. The gospel is not religion. It's not legalism. It's not following rules. And there are churches that are full of religion. Okay? And I'm not knocking anyone. That is not the gospel. On the other hand... The gospel is not irreligion either. The gospel is not just living your life as you please. The gospel is not licentiousness. There's a radical third way of grace. The radical middle, that's what I want to call it. There's a radical third way of grace, which when it touches our hearts, enables us to preach the sharpness of the gospel without falling into legalism on the one hand and without falling into licentiousness on the other. Yeah? There's a radical third way. And it comes as we begin to understand and love the gospel in our own hearts and our own lives. And as I've begun to think about it, 
This question, well, what is the gospel, is not as simple as it sounds. It's more complex than it sounds. And I'm not trying to make things more complicated. I'm just saying this to you. Do you realize that not every old doctrine in the Bible is the gospel? The Bible teaches many things. Not all of it is the gospel. But all biblical doctrine is necessary, and all that the Bible teaches is necessary. The fullness of the Bible is necessary for us to understand what the gospel is. And once we begin to understand what the gospel is, we can be most effective in how we reach out and evangelize. So I want to say this, first point this morning. The gospel is good news. It is not good advice. (laughs) The gospel is good news. It is not good advice. Okay? That's the first thing I want to stress. It's not, the gospel is not primarily a way of life or something that we do. It's something that has been done for us already. And because this thing has been done for us already, we respond to what has already been done. If I can put it to you this way, if you read the Old Testament, the word evangelizo, which means proclaim good news, is used in the entire Old Testament 23 times. In the New Testament... Much fewer books. There's a group of words. Evangelon, which means good news. Evangelizo, which means proclaim good news. And evangeliste, which is someone who proclaims an evangelist. It's used at least 133 times. Why such a big difference? Because the New Testament speaks about a message. It is good news. It's like, the gospel is like, The bulletin on sky that comes up, breaking news. That's the definition of the word. It has that connotation. It is to be announced. It is good news. Everyone needs to hear it. This is what the New Testament primarily is about. And so for me and others that preach, our essential uh, calling in preaching is to announce a message. You with me? It's to proclaim a message. It's We're not trying to lay out a code of ethics and say, this is how you must conform your life to this good behavior. We are here, preachers are there to proclaim a message. And the message is that we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. That's the message. Very, very simple. And so that's what the gospel is. The gospel is a message that you and I have been rescued. What have we been rescued from? Well, it's a good question to ask. What danger, what thing do we need to be saved from? Well, if you read the New Testament in even the most cursory and simple way, you come across a scripture, for example, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, which says this, We wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, Jesus, who has delivered us from the wrath that is to come. The wrath that is to come. In the most brilliant exposition of what the gospel is in the book of Romans, Paul identifies this thing, the wrath of God, as the biggest problem that you and I face as human beings, is the wrath of God. And we see that there are many effects of the anger or the wrath of God upon the world. And so if you go and read Romans 1, 18 to verse 32, you'll see that because of the fall in Genesis... There's a curse that lies on the entire created world because of human sin. And because there's human sin on the world, there's three consequences of that. And they all have 
alienation as their root. We are psychologically alienated within ourselves because of the fall. What does that mean? It means that every single one of us experiences guilt and shame and brokenness in our lives. That psychological alienation within us. Because we are alienated from God, we are also socially alienated from each other. There's brokenness in our relationships. You see it in the story of Adam and Eve. What happens when they sin? They start fighting with each other straight away. Adam blames it on Eve and says, it wasn't me, it was the woman. They start blaming each other. They are naked. There's brokenness in their relationship immediately after sin comes into the world. And so there's brokenness in our relationships too. And there's even physical alienation from nature itself. We all experience sorrow. We all experience painful loss. Our bodies die. Our bodies get old. And so since the fall, since the garden, we live in a world that is full of suffering. It's full of disease, poverty, racism, natural disasters, war, aging, death, etc., etc. And all stems from the wrath of God. And the good news is that we proclaim a message that there is someone who has saved us from that anger, from that wrath. The coming wrath that is coming. This is the good news. And so I put it to you this morning that all the roots of our problems are not horizontal relationships. Those sometimes are the most obvious things to see is the horizontal problems that we have with people. The root of our problem is not a horizontal thing. It's a vertical thing. It's because we are alienated from God that we have problems here. And so human problems are ultimately symptoms of our separation from God. And so all the reason for all misery is the fact that we are not reconciled to God. But here's the good news, all right? And this is the message of the gospel, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. That's the message that we have. We don't have any other message. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we, because God died for us while we're still sinners, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the message that Paul is preaching all the time. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be reconciled to God. And so that's the main thing. That's we have, we have to proclaim. That is the only thing we have to proclaim, that God saves sinners. Secondly, thirdly rather, it's more specific than us just being rescued. The gospel is about what has been done by Jesus to rescue us and put our relationship right with him. All our eggs, all our faith, all our trust is in Jesus and what he has done. You see, becoming a Christian, if you're not saved this morning, if you don't know Jesus, becoming a Christian is essentially about a change in your status. 1 John 3, 14 says, We have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It doesn't say we are passing out of death into life. He says we have passed, past tense, when you believe in Jesus, there's a transformation that happens, there's a change of status that happens. I put it this way. You go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and you never go back. You never straddle the two. You are never unsure. Once you are saved, you are saved. Once you are in the kingdom of light, you are in the kingdom of light. 
You either know Christ or you don't. You are either pardoned for your sins or you're not. You're either accepted by Jesus or you're not. There's no middle ground. You either have eternal life or you don't. And it comes by faith. That is the Christian message. That is the gospel message. Now I want to say this to you. Perhaps you hear this morning and you say, Ant, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel very good about myself. I don't feel good enough to be a Christian. I want to say to you, it has nothing to do with your feelings or what you feel about yourself. Because if that's what you really believe, you're actually saying to me that you have to somehow get yourself into a state where you are acceptable to God. You have to feel good about yourself so that you can become a Christian. (laughs) While we were still sinners, God loved us. The Bible says there was not even one person on the face of the planet that has ever had their heart turned towards God. Psalms. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. You know, the other thing I want to say is, you know, when we say we're not good enough, it sounds modest on one level, doesn't it? It sounds like we're being quite humble, but actually it's a lie. (laughs) It's a lie, because the truth is there's no one that's ever been good enough. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. He says, the essence of Christian salvation is to say that he is good enough, and I am in him. How do I get to be in him? By faith, by believing that he has done enough. We sang it this morning. We trust that you are enough, Jesus. You are more than enough. And all of our faith, all of our trust is in him. And we are in him by faith. Not by our works, not by trying hard. We are in him by faith. And that's the good news that we're in us. This is a good summary of the gospel. God saves sinners. God saves sinners like you and me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that God saved a wretch like me. All right? This is the gospel. This is what we proclaim. And then I want to say, lastly, and I don't want to be confused, get, con- get you confused on this, the gospel is not the results of the gospel. The gospel is not the results of the gospel. The gospel is not about something that we do, but it's about something that has already been done for us. And then we respond to that thing, okay? And the thing that happens is that when we believe the gospel, we have an entirely new life. Everything changes. And that's why I keep saying, grace changes everything. The gospel changes everything in your life. And so... As we receive that wonderful grace in our lives, as it begins to transform us, inevitably and necessarily, there are things that start to flow out of our lives. There are good works that start to flow out of our lives. And our salvation and good works must be connected. But they mustn't be confused. Alright? And that's what Clive so wonderfully said last week. You must first know that you are a disciple loved by Jesus before you do anything for Him. Does not mean that you don't do anything for them? Of course not. They are connected. Salvation and good work is connected, but let's not confuse the one for the other. We first get saved, and then all of that flows out of us is because of a regenerated new life. I love Martin Luther. I'm getting my old age, I'm getting into Martin Luther. He said this. He said, we are saved by faith alone. He had an amazing revelation of the gospel. And then he added this. He said, but not by a faith that remains alone. Do you get it? He's saying exactly what I've just said. We are saved by faith alone, but our faith does not remain alone. Inevitably, because we are saved by faith, good work starts to flow out of us. 
The good work never saves us. Salvation never comes by the good work. It doesn't come through the good work. It's because the fact that we know Jesus that inevitably good works flow out of our lives and begin to touch communities. So that's why I say the gospel is not the results of the gospel. Are you with me? The good works are not the thing. The good works need to flow out of our lives, but they are not the thing. We need to do them. We need to give ourselves to them with all of our hearts, but they do not save us in any, any way. It's by faith and grace alone that we are saved. And you know what? I just saw this for the first time this week. Ephesians 2, which I've quoted over and over again, it says it. Verse 8 to verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one might boast. Everyone finishes there. But you know what verse 10 says? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It connects the two. Paul connects the two. This amazing grace that you've saved. Not a, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. There's nothing to do with works, but inevitably works will flow out of you as your heart is regenerated, as your life is changing from the inside out. And so I'm convinced as we seek God for our community, as we seek God for St. Albans, I am convinced that a true belief in the gospel will lead us to love the poor and care for the broken and the lost and the needy. But as Luther said, true faith leads to good works, and good works and faith must not be confused and separated. So the results of the gospel must never be confused. Caring for the poor and needy must never be confused for the gospel itself. It's the message that produces the good works, not the other way around. Are you with me? And so I conclude by saying this. The gospel is not like a divine rehabilitation program for the world, trying to fix the world up. There are charities that fix up the world much better than the church ever will. <laughs> All right? The gospel is primarily about the finished work of Jesus that he has already accomplished for us. And so the gospel is not primarily about joining something, God's kingdom program or God's church. Rather, the gospel is about receiving something, the finished work of the cross. That's what the gospel is about. It's about knowing that you are a disciple. It's about knowing that you are loved first by Jesus before you do anything. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And so this is the, the good news that we get to preach, to live, to share with our friends. And it's good news because it's salvation by grace and it's already been accomplished for us. And the good, it's good news because, like I've said, it creates an entirely new life in us. That's the message that we proclaim. And when I say grace changes everything, the gospel changes everything, I really do mean it. And let me just unpack that for you, and I'm going to try to do that over the next couple of weeks. Grace enables you to face discouragement and depression in an entirely new way. The gospel changes your relationships and the way that you love people. The gospel affects your family, your sexuality. How you conduct yourself sexually is affected by the gospel as it begins to transform you and change you. It enables you to live a life of self-control. It gives you an entirely new uh, perspective of race and culture. And I tried to share with you that with you a couple of weeks ago about who we choose to eat with. And Paul rebukes Peter and says, you stopped eating with those people. You used to eat with everybody. And now you're more concerned about your race than you are about loving everybody. And the gospel transforms that in us. 
that we live radically different lives. It enables us to see human authority both inside and outside of the church in a radical way, a God-honoring way. The gospel does that in us. It helps us to deal with guilt and lack of self-image in a radically new way. The gospel helps. It liberates us that we have a new motivation for living. We have a new joy. I want to say it even transforms your sense of humor, the gospel. The gospel transforms your attitude towards class in society. All the I could go on and on and on. And so I'm saying to you that these things increasingly need to take root in us. And I want to say to you that we never move on from the gospel to more spiritual things. I've heard that guys say that so often. I know the gospel is just a message about, about how you need to get saved, and it's a three-point message, and you preach it, and you get people saved. And then you go on to the real deep stuff, you know. You go on to studying the Bible and foundations and theology, and you go on to praying for the sick, and that's the real stuff. You know, the gospel is just not, not, not the real stuff. No, the gospel is the only stuff. It is the only stuff. And everything else flows out of that thing. All ministry flows out of a revelation of what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me. We never move on from the gospel. We allow the gospel always to be increasingly transforming us from the inside out radically in every area of our lives. And as it transforms us radically in every area of our lives, we live differently because we can't help ourselves. Amen. That's very different from following rules. (laughs) It's not religion. And so I'm trying to encourage you. This is what I feel we need to be encouraging each other in as a community for the next year, two years. How can we increasingly become a going missional community? And I know some people don't like that word missional. I'm using it in this sense that I'm trying to paint this morning. A joyful message of what Jesus has done for us, that we can joyfully, uh, joyfully proclaim and live out in our families, in our workplaces, in, at school, in the university. And we need to explore that together, more, more, more and more of us, as we, as we go forward. What are the keys that God has for this church, for this community? Can I just say this in my conclusion? When I say missional, I don't mean moralistic. Okay? The gospel is not moralistic. Moralistic, legalistic people believe in evangelizing. That's true. And why do they believe in evangelizing? Because they want to say, we, are, we know best and we are better than you and you need to change. That is moralism. That is offensive and it never works. It's ineffective. I'm not talking about that kind of evangelism. I'm not talking about a relativist approach to evangelism either, which says, Our culture says it, doesn't it? You can't preach that. What right do you have to put your beliefs on me? It's a relative culture. Everyone has the the right to say what they believe, and uh, don't put your stuff on me, you Christians. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Yeah? That's a relativist view. No, the gospel, because it's doing something on the inside of us, it produces an amazing amount of stuff inside of us. And because it's doing that, we are compelled to share the good news of Jesus with generosity, with love, with compassion. Never out of a sense of guilt. Never trying to beat people up to get them to change. No. Why? Because we are set free ourselves. We ourselves have been set free from a fear of being ridiculed or made fun of or, or hurt by others because we've already enjoyed God's full favor on our lives anyway. So what does it care what other people think of us? And we've received the fullness of what God has for us, His full favor. And that the gospel, because it's changing us, 
and we're becoming increasingly gentle, it enables us with humility to speak to others because we ourselves know that we are saved by grace alone. Nothing else. Not because of our insight, not because of our character, not because of our superior class, not the fact that we are bright or we are gifted or we are sports. No, none of that stuff saves us. What saves us is grace alone. We are made clean, all of us, because of Jesus. No other thing. And lastly, the gospel produces great hope in us for the hard cases. How many of you have got hard cases in your family that you think that person is never going to get saved? Anyone? I've got someone like that in my family. That person is never going to get saved. Well, I want to say to you, if we truly believe the gospel... It gives us great faith for the hard cases. Why do I say that? Because we ourselves, because we're saved by grace alone, we were never the most likely candidate to be saved in the first place, were we? How many of you think that God chose you because you were such a good person? Steve, I saw your hand. (laughs) I know you're just teasing. My point is, none of us were the most likely candidates to get saved. And it was the grace of God that reached into our lives and transformed us. So, we can have great faith for that person we think is never going to get saved. They're the most unlikely candidate to get saved. Why? Because the same God that reached into our lives can reach into their lives and radically transform them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's got nothing to do with us. There are great preachers, and for example, Mike is a great communicator. But you know, words never open people's hearts. What opens people's hearts? The Holy Spirit. There has to be a supernatural work. It doesn't come from our badgering. It doesn't come from our persistence. It doesn't come from us trying really hard. It comes as we simply say, Jesus opened this person's heart. And he does it. And so I'm saying to you, this is my final point, that if we truly allow the gospel to change us and the Holy Spirit to change us, we will become simultaneously most excellent neighbors in a multicultural society, most excellent neighbors, getting on with all sorts of people that we would never get on with. We'll become the most excellent neighbors in a multicultural society and simultaneously we'll become most excellent evangelists. Because people will see Christ in us. Can I just say this to you? I'm learning all this stuff. I'm not an expert. So please don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I got it all together. I don't have, I'm not the most excellent neighbor sometimes. Well, we haven't been the most excellent neighbors. We put manure on our garden. And the whole, the whole neighborhood has been <laughs> smelling for the last week. But anyway, all I'm trying to say to you is that if we just let the gospel transform us, we don't really have to try very hard because Jesus is doing it out of us. And, and, and as, he, as we just are obedient and we speak to people calmly and we speak to people in a loving way and we trust God to open their hearts, he will save. Isn't that liberating? Oh, it's wonderful. And so, as we look at the remainder of this year, the, the final third of this year, I want to ask you to pray with us as a church community. How can every aspect of our lives... How can every ministry that flows out of this church, whatever those ministries are, whatever they become, how can they become more effective and evangelistic and missional in the way that I've tried to describe it to you this morning? In sharing this message with everyone that we have been rescued, that we've been saved, and that's the hope that we have for the world. How can our worship be more missional? 
How can everything that the kids do uh, upstairs be more missional? How can our lives, every moment and every day that we spend in the office, be more missional in the sense of just taking opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus to somebody, somehow? Are you with me? And we can encourage each other in that. That's what we need to be doing. We are salt and light. You know what? My job and anyone else who's involved in church leadership is, I'm not saying this to excuse us. Of course, we must do those things ourselves. But my job primarily is to help all of us to to see and understand and to prepare the saints for works of service. We get to do this together. All of us get to do this stuff. That should thrill you. We all get to do the stuff. We all get to do the ministry. Preachers are trying to help people and equip people so we can all get to do the ministry together. Amen. And so how can your life groups become more missional? How can they, how can they begin to impact the neighborhood? And I invite you to join with, with me and with the rest of this community as we begin to explore that and say, ask God, what does it mean to become a more fruitful church, a more missional church, a going church that is going in every area? And I know it's challenging, but I believe it's what's on the heart of God for us as a community. And so, for my contribution over the next six months, I'm going to be doing a series out of the Gospel of Mark called Getting to Know Jesus. Simple series, Getting to Know Jesus. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, which is the simplest gospel, it's the most concise, it's the gospel upon which all the others are based. If you look at... um, the other Gospels, much of Mark is quoted in all the other Gospels. It's a chronological account of Jesus' life. If we want to get to know the Gospel, let's get to know Jesus. And so we're going to be preaching about getting to know Jesus over the next six months. And I trust that it will liberate you, encourage you, and help you in your own life to engage with your friends, your family, and those that don't know Christ. They will see many, many more saved into this church. Amen.